Listeners, start your engines. Franchise Detours, Episode 10. Rob here. Find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers, as well as crookedtable.com. You can give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, and now you can rate our show on Spotify. So please do that. We'd really appreciate it. On this episode, I'm going to do just kind of a stream of consciousness review of The Matrix Resurrections, which is coming to HBO Max and theaters this week. So stick around for that. But before we get into that, kind of a different spin, not our normal format, just kind of me rambling on with my initial thoughts. It's been basically not even like just barely over 12 hours since I saw the film. So, you know, you'll have to bear with me if some of my thoughts are a little unfiltered and uh, unevolved at this point. But before we get into all of that, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer for The Matrix Resurrections. Thomas, you seem particularly triggered right now. Can you tell me what happened? I've had dreams that weren't just dreams. Am I crazy? We don't use that word in here. why you're still fighting and why you will never give up you don't know me no Okay, this is going to be an interesting one because the Matrix films are exactly the type of movie you shouldn't be doing a stream of consciousness review of hours after seeing them for the first time uh, just because of how dense there's books written on these movies, there's essays about these movies, there's there are a bazillion dissection podcasts and, uh, you know, YouTube videos that I'm sure have been made breaking down all the various elements of these movies, what they're trying to say about religion and philosophy and mythology and science and blah, 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 blah. 
And so there's all of that to consider. But I, I just to take it back a step, I should probably just briefly touch on what my mindset was going into this thing. So The Matrix, for those of you who don't know, who haven't heard me talk about it on Binge Movies or in previous episodes of this show, The Matrix is essentially the movie that made me a movie person. What do I mean by that is I mean The Matrix is a movie that took me from being a person who liked watching films, found them entertaining, to the person that obsessed over how they were made, obsessed over the symbolism in them, what they're trying to say, their influences, what they influenced inside of the the larger pop cultural landscape. The Matrix is the film that really kind of freed my mind to that everything that went into filmmaking to the art, the craft of filmmaking. And so that, that was the matrix for me. For some people it's star Wars, for some people it's Jurassic park, for some people it's back to the future or ghostbusters or any of these other big blockbuster movies that kind of brought bridge the gap between art and entertainment. And for me, it was the matrix. So going into this one, I, uh, I saw the, uh, the other sequels in theaters, seen them multiple times over the years. I enjoy them, even though I don't love them nearly as much as the first one. Uh, you can hear me and Freddie Yanis, my brother, talk about The Matrix uh, on this feed for a couple hours. You can hear me and Jackson Smith talk about the sequels for three hours. So uh, this is the, by the end of this, I probably will have logged about six hours on this feed just talking about The Matrix films. Uh, the four of them. And I enjoy the sequels. I don't think they're anywhere near as good as the original. The The original is untouchable. So going into this movie, I think what I was hoping was it would be more in line with the first film, but not disregard the, the mythos and the narrative that was established in Reloaded and Revolutions. I think those movies, th- there's one thing I don't particularly care for. It's when a franchise doesn't acknowledge what's come before and it just decides to try and wipe the slate clean. Uh, you know, even some of the legacy s- sequels that we've gotten recently, Ghostbusters Afterlife, you know, uh, I guess kind of Mad Max Fury Road, which again, Mad Max Mooms will get to very soon on this uh, on this podcast in the next couple months. Uh, so the Force Awakens, obviously Creed, those films all acknowledge, hey, all this stuff happened. Even the stuff that <laughs> even the stuff that nobody likes, the midi chlorians, the you know, things like that, still relevant, still happen, still part of the canon we're not striking the canon or starting fresh and i i do appreciate that the matrix resurrections i guess mild spoilers but not really uh, not yet at least does consider everything that happened in reloaded and uh, revolutions as part of the story they don't try and ignore that it does not a direct sequel to the first one and I, I appreciate the way that it, it incorporates those elements without overemphasizing them. So going into this one, what did I know about it? So I had heard that it was very meta. I'd heard it compared to uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare and what that did with the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. I obviously knew that Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss were back. I knew that Jada Pinkett Smith and Lambert Wilson were back. Uh, I knew Lawrence Fishburne and Hugo Weaving were not and that was already something that sort of worried me. But where the story left off here is we have Neo and Trinity. Uh, they both died at the end of Revolution. Spoilers for a 20-year-old movie. Uh, Neo sacrificed himself to establish peace with the machines. Trinity died on the, uh, on the mission to get to the machine city. And so Matrix Resurrection starts off in a very unlikely place. If you've seen at least the first trailer, which you just heard on this episode, uh, Thomas Anderson is kind of back in where, you know, in what seems like the real world and, uh, starting to have visions or I get that, that, that itch that something is not right, that there's something going on, uh, you know, starting to wonder what is the matrix sort of all over again. And the movie really, really, really leans into the meta nature of this film, of him being in the Matrix. And uh, it's going to be hard to talk about this with no spoilers. I feel like I'm going to have to at some point cast that off. But general impressions, I, I really enjoyed this movie to an extent. Now, what the hell does that mean is that 
I'm so in the bag for this franchise that you give me Keanu Reeves, you give me Carrie Ann Moss, you give me people talking about choice and free will and sort of toying with the nature of fantasy and reality in the film, outside the film, you bring in, you blur the lines between we're watching a movie called The Matrix, essentially The Matrix 4, and you reference The Matrix in The Matrix in a way that plays with that with the malleability and the blurs that line and i'm on board for it you have action scenes i'm on board for it you have you know uh, martial arts you have all the, this kind of techno inspired score i i'm there for it so i enjoyed this movie is it anywhere near as good as the first one hell no Hell no. There is the the action in this movie. None of it is. This franchise has not really been innovative in my eyes since the first one. Uh, I think Reloaded and Revolutions are innovative in the ideas that they're trying to present to a certain extent because those aren't often represented in blockbuster filmmaking, certainly. And I think Resurrection continues that. But none of the visually, none of the stuff in this movie or the previous two sequels comes anywhere near what they did in the first one with Bullet Time and the the freshness that that first movie had. Uh, the, the other two parts of the trilogy never matched it. And this one also doesn't really come close. And I think, too, in a way, they weren't really trying to top themselves, which I, I think Lana Wachowski, who's obviously one of the original directors, came back and directed this and co-wrote it. Uh, with the guys that, that did, I think, the novel for Cloud Atlas and I think helped write Cloud Atlas film. If you Basically, if you liked Cloud Atlas, Matrix, uh, the Matrix Resurrections kind of takes a little more of influence from that film, uh, which I, I love Cloud Atlas. I think Cloud Atlas is probably the Wachowski's second or third best movie to date, in, in my opinion. I know that's very polarizing. And I know The Matrix Resurrections is also going to be polarizing. So what I would say before I get into a little more uh, spoilers on The Matrix Resurrections is this movie is proof positive that this franchise is more or less now only for the diehard fans. I, I will I, I will concede that point. The person that I saw it with was not into this at all, was very bored by all of this, and uh, was not not on board for this franchise. And that's for this film at least. So and that's that's totally fair. I don't feel like these sequels are defensible to, in the slightest. If you watch this movie and you are bored out of your mind, it is two and a half hours. It is a lot of talking. It is a lot of, uh, I, it does have a lot of ideas and themes and things brought to the table that are variations on things that were talked about in previous movies. So it doesn't a hundred percent mess, uh, or present, um, present a lot of new concepts. I would say it, I would, I do think it, it presents them in a different way. Uh, but if you didn't like Reloaded, if you didn't like Revolutions, if you think those movies are dog shit and <laughs> this one looks like it's worse or the same, you probably won't like this movie. And that's fair. Like that's, this is not accessible to everyone. This is not, not, and I don't mean accessible. Like you won't get it. You you'll get it, but you won't care. <laughs> and that's okay. Like, uh, I, I am on board for this in the way that some people are on board for other franchises. I don't understand the transformers movies. I don't care. I don't understand the twilight movies. There are a lot of these superhero movies even that I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I don't know why people love it the way that they love it. But but I, I, you know, I, I respect their opinion. Everybody has their own thing on the podcast here. We celebrate difference of opinion. We like to have people come on, talk about the things that they love. We like to be positive as much as possible here. So it's hard for me to be objective about the Matrix films because of the role that they play in my life personally. So which is why I, I tried to defend the Matrix on binge movies unsuccessfully. And uh, I... I, you know, I find enjoyment in these movies that other people won't. It's not accessible in the way that you, it, it just won't work for everyone. You put someone in front of Spider-Man No Way Home 
nine times out of 10, they're going to love it. It's fun. It's, it's, it's funny. It's got a lot of personality. It's got, you know, there's action scenes and returning characters and twists and turns and blah, 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 blah. But for me, this movie is more interesting. And the reason is something like Spider-Man No Way Home or pretty much any Marvel movie, a lot of the stuff put out by Disney is very, in some degree, formulaic. There's a lot in Spider-Man No Way Home, not to rag on that movie, because I do think that's a fun movie. My experience viewing it the first time was not great, as uh, as I've sort of mentioned on Twitter a little bit. But it it feels like a mishmash of greatest hits of that 20 years of that franchise. And so every time they bring in a new fan favorite character, of course, people love it because it's a fan favorite. It's a person you have nostalgia. You have connections to those characters and you're bringing these threads together that were never really meant to be together. And I get it, but it's also not particularly interesting from a storytelling standpoint. Uh, so I prefer in some degree when movies like the Matrix of Directions take big swings, when they try something weird and different and and challenging and and uh you know, in this case very self-reflexive, rather than, oh, well, people want to see all the Spider-Men together. Let's put all the Spider-Men together together. Uh I also it also my experience with these two different movies benefited because I knew a lot about Spider-Man No Way Home just from existing in the world on the internet, seeing rumors and seeing people like, I wonder if this will happen. And then I'm watching it and like, yeah, that happened, that happened, that happened. There was no surprises. This movie, I watched the first trailer and then I avoided everything else. So I went in as fresh as possible for The Matrix Resurrections. And I think that definitely helped. Now, after this recording, I'll go back and watch the the, the clips, the, the TV spots, the uh, the second trailer, which I still haven't seen and see how much they gave away because uh, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that works for me that doesn't work objectively. And I, I think it's hard to sort of break down whether this is a good movie or not, because I, I I'm so jaded uh, on a, on a positive in a positive way for, for this franchise in general. So I guess from here on in, I'll get a little more into spoilers on the Matrix Resurrections, if you want to go completely clean, I would say go see it now. Keanu's in it. Trinity's in it. That's all you need to know. Go see it and see what you think. Form your own opinion. Don't listen to me. And uh, give it a shot. I would say just run, you know, if you have HBO Max, it's going to be streaming very soon. And you can just watch it from home if you don't, if you have little to no interest in it. But really let the movie wash over you. I will say that. If you're fighting it and you're on your phone and you're, you know, checking the internet and and trying to just like live your life, going shopping on Amazon while you're watching, you're not going to, you're not going to get enveloped in whatever the movie's trying to do. So give it a fair shake, I would say first. And if you hate it, that's fair. I, I totally understand. Again, not going to try and stand by and be like, I like this because this is this is the, the best movie of whatever. It's not, it's maybe the third best Matrix movie. Just let's put that out there. Like it, it's, I'd say better than Revolutions. Nowhere near the first one. It's, it's around the realm of Reloaded where I like some of what it's doing. I don't like some of what it's doing or it doesn't click for me exactly what some of it is doing. But uh, but I, as if you're a hardcore Matrix fan, I would recommend it. If you're not, give it a watch if you're interested. But if, if you're really dead set, like if you hated Reloaded and Revolutions, you're probably going to hate this. And you're probably better off just pretending like The Matrix is one movie and that's all. Because everyone can agree more or less The Matrix is a classic it stands on its own. It didn't really need sequels, but we, you know, we live in a franchise world and I'm a franchise girl. So, um, so we're on the matrix four and there's a new video game and all that other stuff. So that's what I would say recommended by me for diehards only. If you're not probably steer clear. So going forward with this, they had in my view, two different routes. They could have gone with this movie. They could have gone super meta and super reflect, self-reflexive, like I just said, and fold the franchise in on itself, 
Or they could have picked up from revolutions. We're in the real world. Where are the you know, the characters that we know and love? Blah blah blah. Or a new story set in that mythology. So they they could either continue the mythology that we know, or flip the movie in on its head. So what this one does, what Lana Wachowski and her team put together here is they try and do both. And I don't know if it lands doing it that way, but. I really got a kick out of the way that this movie starts. So this movie starts, we have Jessica Henwick as Bugs, easily one of the best new characters. Really fun. I, you know, we, you've seen her in the, the Marvel Netflix shows on uh, Iron Fist, and, and she was great on those, on those series as well as uh, Colleen Wing. Great, great seeing her on Iron Fist, best part of that show by far. And one of the better new additions to this movie, for sure. Uh, so it starts out in Thomas Anderson's working for a game design company. I can't believe that, that I'm about to say this. Working for a game design company. He's this famous game designer, you know, uh, and he's famous for making a game called The Matrix. And he's done a trilogy of games called The Matrix. And he gets a call from corporate from his boss, played by Jonathan Groff. Again, that's in the trailer that you just heard. Uh, he gets a, a call from his boss that they want to do a fourth one. So the, the whole first third to a half of this movie is Thomas Anderson fighting the inevitability of the matrix four. Uh, and he, there's, there are scenes with him and his team of game designers and they're talking about like, well, what do people think of with the matrix? They think of, bullet time, like fresh originality. Um, they think about this. These are the elements that make a great matrix story. You know, people aren't here for the ideas. They're here for the action. And, and so it, it, it really, it feels like a focus group from within, uh, from within Warner brothers. There is even a scene where, uh, Thomas Anderson's boss says, Oh, you know, our, our bosses over at Warner brothers, literally in the movie, they acknowledge that Warner brothers is behind the matrix Four. uh, they are hashing out how, what it is to what, what it may means to be, to make the matrix Four, like to build on the trilogy and to build on the way it ends. You've probably seen in the trailers clips from the first movie, those are, are designed to be essentially in this movie. They are referenced as part of the game that, that Thomas Anderson has designed uh, in the very beginning of this movie. It starts out exactly like the first film with uh, a, a woman dressed in leather and like a leather catsuit, short, dark hair running up walls and, and kicking people and running away from agents essentially almost shot for shot the opening of the first film with Trinity. Uh, but the difference is that there are characters, Bugs is one of them, witnessing it and and point, and acknowledging that it feels familiar, that it is the same story we've seen before. So to me, this is the Wachowski, uh, Lana Wachowski and her team, this is the Wachowski's, well, again, one Wachowski. The, Lily did not come back for this one. Uh, unfortunately, which, you know, I would have, I wonder what this movie would have looked like if the Wachowskis had been united on this, uh, on this project, but that's neither here nor there. This is the movie we got. Uh, it, it is the movie basically riffing on itself of you. Do you, do you think you're coming to this movie and you think you're getting a remake? You think you're getting a reboot? You think you're getting a requel or a legacy sequel or whatever you want to call it? It's not exactly that. It's kind of in here. This is where I, I sort of, I sort of diverge from, uh, from my thoughts about how well this approach works. It kind of is that, but there's a reference at the very beginning of the movie. Like I love all that meta stuff. I thought that was so fun that it's taking that head on. Obviously, if we have a matrix four, you need to acknowledge the elephant in the room, which is, Hey, we're making the matrix four. Why are we making the matrix four? And so I think making that part of the story is sort of a fun twist and certainly more satisfying than just starting out building on the mythology of the, the, uh, the sequels and of the preview of the trilogy that, that came before this movie. I think that's an interesting angle. I think if, if they had gone 
very straight laced. I think people would have been complaining in a completely different way. So people watching this and are like, oh, it went meta. It went new nightmare. Fuck this movie. I think if it just picked up from the mythology in Reloaded and Revolutions that lost a lot of fans, where a lot of fans at some point were disinterested in the conflict in Zion and and their sweaty raves and um, and you know everything that was happening with Smith and Neo and all that. Like, if you were not interested in that, it wasn't going to work for you either for this movie to pick up there. So they had to find sort of a new starting point and justify why they're doing this movie. Does this movie successfully justify itself? That uh, That's a totally separate thing. Again, I'm 12 hours into having seen it, so I need to rewatch this probably a couple times, but Bugs has a line at the very beginning of the movie that I really loved, which is she's watching who is essentially supposed to be Trinity. It's not Carrie Ann Moss's Trinity. They don't, I'm glad they don't try and like digitally recreate uh, Trinity from the other movie, from the first movie, and have that uh, that sort of uncanny valley thing happening. But she says, why would they remake, why would they use the old code for something new? Which is an interesting sort of, it's an interesting question for, to me about Hollywood right now. Again, I just mentioned Spider-Man No Way Home. They took those two Spider-Men and they're continuing those movies in this other movie. And I have a whole other issue with those films, with the, the Tom Holland movies. Uh, but yeah, it, 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 this film tries to question its own existence. And I think that's an interesting, that's an interesting place to start a movie from now where it, I think we'll lose a lot of, well, I mean, it loses, it'll lose a lot of people from the first scene where they're like, this is no, 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 not doing this. The matrix four, you have him, uh, Thomas Anderson holding like a booklet of like, uh, I guess the the plan or the script or whatever for the, like the project notebook for the matrix four, it says matrix four on it in Roman numerals. Uh, people are going to be out of it with that. And that's, again, I get it totally fine. You know, not for everybody. Clearly the Wachowskis have never given a shit about making movies for, for everyone. Look at speed racer. Look at, like I said, cloud Atlas, look at the one film. I couldn't follow them down the rabbit hole of Jupiter ascending. Uh, they, they marched to the beat of their own drummer. And I always respected that about them. So the fact that this movie spends so long toying with the idea is Thomas Anderson. Uh, is he really Neo reinserted in the matrix? Is the matrix, you know, in this world is the matrix trilogy canon or is it a story within within uh, this film uh, or, or to put more to put more clearly did those films really happen or is it just something that this character thomas anderson created are we meeting this thomas anderson for the first time or is this one the same neo who who is was you know became the one in the original trilogy fought smith made peace with the machines and all that Obviously, you're watching a movie called The Matrix Resurrections. More likely than not, it's they're continuing the mythology of that trilogy. So where the movie goes is it ultimately is revealed that Neo uh, and everything that happened in the trilogy did indeed happen. It's been about 60 years since the events of the events of revolutions. Uh, The only character who is still chilling out is Niobe, played by Jada Pinkett Smith, in insane amounts of old age makeup. And she's now running the the human uh, the human city called Io. And if from that point on, the second half of the movie really leans into what happened to Neo, what happened to Trinity, what happened with the machines. Uh, one thing I did really respond to and I did really appreciate about the second half of the movie is that it does it does establish that the and and neo points this out straight on he's none of it mattered and he, it establishes that no it did matter that things are changing uh the humans and the machines are not it's not as black and white as it used to be there are some machines that have essentially defected to the human side of this conflict and uh they're in a sort of tenuous piece kind of not really and the matrix has been redesigned and it's 
it, it, it very much continues the cycle from the pre- previous trilogy, but in a new form, which I think, again, feels like a commentary on starting, kind of starting this franchise over again. Uh, I feel like this, it's, it's hard to kind of get my hands around the story of this movie because it is, it, there are twists and turns with some of the characters, specifically those played by Jonathan Groff and Neil Patrick Harris and Yahya Abdul-Mateen II that I think are interesting. I don't know that I love them because I, I get, I mean, we're deep into spoilers at this point, but so Jonathan Groff is uh, Anderson's boss, but he's also kind of Agent Smith, and Smith has re- reborn sort of as a part of the system, which doesn't make sense to me uh, right now because in the original trilogy, and that's crazy that we have yet another uh, yet another franchise where it's original trilogy. We had Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, and you know we have original trilogy Matrix. Um, the original trilogy, uh, Smith became a virus, evolves into a virus and then uh, is supposedly deleted from the Matrix at the end of Revolution. So the fact that he's back here uh, in some new form, I don't know that I 100% buy that. I mean, I clearly I get what they were going for. They were trying to keep that rivalry alive. Obviously, Neo and Smith are sort of two halves of the same whole. They're connected. S- uh, Smith references that numerous times in the, the all of the films, including this one. But the problem is that Hugo Weaving isn't in this movie. And Jonathan Groff, you know, I love Jonathan Groff. We, we all love Jonathan Groff. He, from the back in the day when he was in Glee to, you know, the voice of Kristoff in Frozen. I know he's in Mindhunter and other thing looking and things, other things that I, TV shows that I haven't really gotten into. Uh, but he's not Hugo Weaving. He doesn't, he, he, he's, he doesn't bring the same, balance of sort of gravitas and 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 uh over the top campiness that that Hugo Weaving brings to this character and even in the original Matrix when he's you know my my family and I watched that first film a bazillion times and having you know the part where he's freaking out on Morpheus and Morpheus and he's like I must get out of here I must get free I have to get inside Zion and he's like mentally like snapping becoming more human uh in the process that even there he's having fun with the character in a way that Jonathan Groff I don't know that he he can quite pull it off as Smith and obviously Hugo Weaving was supposedly they reached uh, out to him Lana reached out to Hugo Weaving at one point and he was doing a play and so they couldn't make the schedule work. And then he, I, cause I've written about this uh, you know, over the, you know, the last year or so he, uh, he was available and then they didn't need him anymore. So I guess by then they had rewritten the script and came up with this new kind of take on, on Smith and uh, had Jonathan Groff just play Smith throughout. I don't think that works. Like I, even when he's fighting Neo, Smith is just Smith is like saying things like, Oh, just like old times. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> You're not Hugo weaving. You're never going to be Hugo weaving Jonathan Groff. So if Jonathan Groff had been an agent, that's fine. But having him be some version of a continuation on Smith doesn't really work for me. Uh, similarly having the Merovingian showing up here, in like the rafters of a warehouse with a bunch of exiles sort of, you know, ambushing Neo, I think is an interesting idea. Does it work? I don't know. I'm, I think the Merovingian's more fun as this sort of like, he looks kind of like a, a homeless vagabond in this movie. I think he's more interesting there than like in his suit, drinking from a martini, sending orgasm cakes to people in restaurants. So I, you know, I, I like that they're trying to keep some continuity with the, previous two sequels uh and the merovingian is is one way to do that uh, in addition to niobe so i think that was cool uh and going back to yaya abdul mateen ii he is essentially a digital version a program that thomas anderson designed to sort of be a new morpheus so in the 
canon of this movie, Lawrence Fishburne's original real Morpheus has since passed away. And, and we get sort of a bit of exposition about what happened uh, after Neo and, uh, and Trinity died and the piece was stricken with the machines. So he is not, you know, to everybody watching, you know, the trailers and be like, what the hell? Why is this guy playing Morpheus now? And obviously we love Yaya and every, everything he's been in really, even the Candyman movie with the recent one, which I did not love. Uh, he's, he's good in that and, and Aquaman and Watchmen and everything that he's popped up in. You're like, this guy is, is a star and he's fun in this movie. There's moments where he sort of toys with Morpheus. Again, the movie sort of, uh, the movie messing with, the idea of is this a remake is this a sequel and sort of playing with expectations there which as a fan of the original movie as a person who like i said holds that original movie up on a pedestal i thought that was pretty pretty funny and kind of deflating those expectations a bit uh so he is a program in this movie that's designed to kind of be a combination of Morpheus and Smith, he says at one point. And I I think his performance is, is solid. I like the new approach that they have that character take, which is now programs can sort of uh, appear in the real world uh, using this uh, kind of nanotechnology. And I think that was an interesting visual addition here. Uh, and it allows for a little more crossover between the real world and the Matrix. If there's anything... that's what probably really hurts revolutions for me is that we are so much in the real world and the real world is not that interesting. Most of the most interesting characters are the programs, which is why uh, Smith is, is the way they handle Smith in here is kind of a disappointment for me. Uh, And why the reloaded is vastly superior to revolutions to me as we spend so much time with this, battle sequence and you've heard me if you've heard the previous episode that i just posted with me and jackson talking about reloaded and revolutions it's very much overdrawn and and very kind of derivative of like sci-fi action uh set pieces that whole the whole battle with the sentinels and zion so i i prefer that they have some way for the programs to interact with the real world characters and now that there's more of a uh, alliance of an alliance between the machines and the humans, it sort of uh, allows for that, and I think that was an that's an interesting way to way to balance the the two you know the dichotomy of the Matrix films. Uh, I speaking of the cast, I should mention Keanu Reeves obviously is pretty solid here. I mean, he's he's doing his he's always good when you put him in a movie as a character who doesn't know what's happening, him reacting to things and having that sort of uh, wonder about the worlds that he's discovering. You see that in the, in the Bill and Ted movies specifically, obviously the first one is, you know, he's discovering time travel and all of that. But when you put him in an, in an extraordinary circumstance like that, I think it really works. That's the same with the original matrix. That's the same, in, uh, and as I said, Bill and Ted, that's the same in this movie. And I think him sort of rediscovering the truth about his life and that, that the reality that he thought was reality is, is actually a, uh, a virtual reality. There's, there's lots of, um, there's the coffee shop named Simulate, things like that, that I, that I thought were really fun, uh, that kind of tipped the hat that like, Hey, this world was designed by a video game. Uh, designer or a machine that, that kind of uh, in jokes and things like that, which I, which I thought was, was clever, very, very kind of uh, akin to something you would see in the movie free guy from earlier this year, which I also thought was pretty fun minus some of the obvious sort of corporate things, which, you know, we live in a world where the mouse runs everything. So that's kind of par for the course at this point. But I think it marries the sort of wonder and bewilderment and shock that, Reeves brought to the original matrix with the kind of world weariness that he brings to Bill and Ted's uh, Bill and Ted face the music where in that movie, he's still like, Whoa, but he's also just tired, dude. Like he says at one point, he's, he's, he's had, he's worn down. He's world weary. He's worn out. He's exhausted by the circumstances of his life. And I think you see that in Bill and Ted, you see that in Matrix, and you see that most of all in the John Wick movies, where that guy, 
you know, has been, has been through a million of these battles before. He's, you know, an assassin for hire. He just lost his wife. Then they killed his dog. Then they took his car. And he's had it, but he's also just wants it all to be freaking over by now. And I think you you get that weight. I think the Keanu Reeves just kind of carries that weight, maybe because of some of the things he's been through in his life, maybe just age, who knows what it is. But he has so much more character on his face when it comes to, uh, or on, uh, you know, under, under, you know, God, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. When it comes to undergoing, there you go. God, it hit a mental, mental, mental blank there undergoing that kind of uh, like low level trauma over an extended period of time. And in this case, Thomas Anderson has been living a lie for a long time, I guess 60 years he's supposed to have been in this thing and in, in various cycles, they say at one point that his, his persona, his appearance is now not, not Keanu Reeves. It's now something else. It's probably changed several times over, over the course of the last 60 years. So add to that he's been stuck in this version of the matrix. So I, I like that he brings that sort of world weariness to Neo at this point in his life. Uh, I, I already said about the new cast, Jessica Henwick. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, Jonathan Groff, eh, not as great, you know, I, just because of what they're trying to do with his, with his character, which again, felt like it, it unnecessary. I would have rather they had let, let, uh, Smith out of this altogether, personally. Um, Carrie Ann Moss as Trinity. Don't get as, we don't get as much in her, of her in this as I would have preferred. She is the driving force of the whole movie though. The, this, these films have always been, in some regard, a love story of Neo and Trinity. The first one hinges on, on that. The second one hinges on the third one kind of drives that home. And this one is all about their, their union. The person I saw this movie with, uh, it turns out that they're, these two are more linked than we realize. And the person that I saw it with was even that kind of, you know, pointed out that it's sort of like a forced dyad, uh, which I think it kind of, I don't know that I love that those that kind of last minute reversal. I like that it makes Neo and Trinity equals. There is a scene in this movie though where uh they are they take a leap of faith and they are falling and Trinity actually develops spontaneously develops the ability to fly, which I I need to unpack a little more before I know how I feel about that. So I guess the implication is that Either she is also the one or she also has freed her mind to the extent that Neo has. Because we find out in the previous sequels that the concept of the one is just another measure of control that the machines put in place to uh, to keep humans, you know, under 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 the matrix's thrall, essentially. They keep them in their fields and growing so that they can have energy and all that other stuff. So I think that is uh, that sign of an it negates the fact that there that Neo is special for that reason. So I, I don't know where they plan on going with that going forward, but I do like that it establishes fully that Neo and Trinity are equals. They're a team. This is, it's like when uh, the Ant-Man franchise went from Ant-Man to Ant-Man and the Wasp, like they're co-leads fully. It's not Neo and then Trinity, it's Neo and Trinity. And so I, I appreciate that. And you know, these are, these are two actors in their mid fifties who are the leads of this action franchise. And specifically when in the case of Carrie Ann Moss, how often do you get to see a, see a 50 something year old woman kicking ass alongside her male co-star of the same age? I can't think of when I've seen that before. And I, I, I mean, I guess Helen Mirren probably comes the closest when she shows up in like, what is it? Red or, or one of the fast in the fast and furious movies, all of that. But it's not the same. It's they're both very physical characters, Neo and Trinity, and the, it feels like no time has passed. It's been I think eighteen years since the Matrix Revolutions, and it feels like it feels like it's been five years, maybe not even that. They they look like they have barely aged, which is something that is remarked upon at one point of why Keanu Reeves is barely aged, uh, of why Neo is barely aged, and I thought that was kind of a uh, that was a fun con you know, comment on 
Keanu Reeves' own inability to, to age. Uh, but I, I like that uh, she is, has that that uh, her own life going on in this movie. Trinity is, in this version of The Matrix, is Tiffany, and she's married, and she's got kids, and she's, you know, still was the basis, the inspiration for Tom, Thomas Anderson to create the character of Trinity. You see the, on his desk, you see the toys from The Matrix Reloaded. I think... Uh, I'm the amorphous one that I may still have in a box somewhere with him with the swords from, uh, from reloaded. So I, it's it goes full Jurassic world in that regard. But I, I, I did appreciate the, the love story between Neo and Trinity in this movie and the way it paid off the, the moment when she finally kind of awakens within the matrix, which is well into the third act. And uh, I, I thought was was very satisfying for me as a longtime fan of this franchise. So having that her sort of join Neo in the battle against the agents and, and in sort of uh, liberating herself from the Matrix. And there's this whole sort of ra- this is whole rescue. Mi- I'm saying sort of too much. There's this whole rescue mission involving uh, involving bugs, involving Neo, involving uh, Priyanka Chopra Jonas as uh, the adult version of Sati from the Matrix Revolutions uh, that, you know, to try and have them go in and save Trinity from these, the Trinity and Neo are on these twin kind of uh, special pods that were designed specifically for them. There's a little bit of question early on whether or not that is Trinity in the other pod. I think it would have been kind of fun fun twist if that wasn't trinity in the other pod if that was someone else if it was you know a real world version of smith or something and and trinity had just been a program in the matrix designed to kind of designed to control thomas anderson uh because there is a scene in i think one of the trailers or tv spots or something that i i did glimpse probably maybe an ad on on online or something um where there's a moment where Trinity does kind of devolve into code. And, uh, I thought that I was fully expecting Trinity to be a program to be a a simulated version of Trinity, uh, that was designed for Thomas Anderson to, to, there's a big speech that a character, the character played by Neil Patrick Harris, who at first is presented as Thomas Anderson's therapist, and then is later revealed to be the analyst, who I guess is running the matrix. So the new architect, presumably, and he essentially becomes the main antagonist of the film as it goes on in the second half. There's a, a whole conversation that he has sort of akin to what's uh, what the architect and Smith have said in previous movies about the matrix, uh, how it, it's meant to make people suffer uh, that we define, we kind of define our reality through our suffering, through, you know, fear. What does he say? Fear and not guilt. It's something else. Fear and desire or something like that. He says that we, we want something, but we're too scared to, to, to go for it, to pursue it. I think it's something along those lines. Again, 12 hours in a little more now, 13 hours almost now. Um, so it's, it's, I thought Neo uh, Trinity was going to be uh, a program designed to keep Neo at bay. Uh, the analyst says uh, in this same scene that it, the, it, Neo and Trinity create the the most energy and and they're the most useful to the machines when they're kept close but not together. When they unite, bad bad things happen. He says. And I guess they're too powerful and they're a forced dyad, I guess, is, is the ultimate, is the ultimate reveal. They're, they're a dyad in the matrix. Uh, and, um, they have the power to take over the matrix or to, to, you know, dominate the machines or whatever you want to call it. Um, so that he, he needs to keep them together to create that energy and to keep that 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 kind of uh, internal narrative going within the matrix of Thomas Anderson and Tiffany and blah blah blah, uh, but when they unite, that's it's no it's no good for for him. So I thought Trinity was going to be a program designed to to do that to maintain that, and that ended up not being the case. Which on the one hand I'm like, well, 
that would have been a clever twist. Maybe you should have done that. But on the other hand, I like Trinity as a character. I liked that this movie fully helps her escape uh, Neo's shadow uh, in that he was the one and she was not. And in this one, they're both kind of the one, which I, uh, as a fan of both of those actors and both of those characters and that relationship, I really appreciate Uh whether they make more of these, whether this does well enough to warrant that, I, I honestly, I seriously doubt it. I really feel like this movie, again, is so for the diehard fans that casual moviegoers are going to be probably pretty bored or alienated by this movie, or they're going to think the twists are, are really stupid. And they're going to hate the meta narrative of it, which again, I'm, I'm fully on board for that. I was hoping it would be something wacky like that, as opposed to, you know, just picking up from revolutions and, and, you know, from there, I, I like the sort of, I think it's, I think that's the sort of roundabout way they did it here was preferable to just coming straight down the barrel with a continuation of the matrix revolutions. Again, like I said, my least favorite matrix film, uh, revolutions. Um, ultimately, if you're hoping for something fresh and then it ends up with your back at a human city, you're back with Niobe, you're back in the same kind of deal. I can see that being a disappointment to you. Uh, I did appreciate that when we did go to the human city, it wasn't as populous as Zion was. It wasn't, it didn't get so lost and wrapped up in the politics of Zion. I think those are the least successful elements of this franchise are when we get the council meetings and, and lock and the bureaucracy and who gives a shit about any of that. Like, honestly, the sequels have too many characters. I feel like they should have trimmed both of those movies down. And I said this in my conversation with Jackson, both of those movies down to one movie and then had kind of a movie in the middle showing Neo's evolution into Superman as we see in, in reloaded and revolutions. So I would have preferred that, then having reloaded and revolutions is two separate movies. You compress those down and I'm sure there are fan edits out there. I've been like kind of uh, intrigued by the idea of doing that myself since forever. I just don't have the time slash desire to do so. Uh, like at least not that much desire to do so. I have a life, so I don't have time to, to go through that. So if anyone's willing to point me in the direction of a fan edit of reloaded and revolutions into one, you know, two, two and a half hour, even three hour film, Definitely, I would love to see that. I, let me know on Twitter at Crooked Table. Uh, but that will save the sign off properly for uh, in the next couple of minutes. So I, I enjoyed this movie. Uh, there's more I could probably say about it. I'm. This is again kind of a very fresh, very loose, very all over the place review. Uh, mostly just kind of wanting to wanted to weigh in on the film in context with the other ones. Obviously this is not a, none of this series is really a full on traditional franchise detours mega series, but in a way I'm okay with that. I just, I had covered these three previous movies on, uh, the crooked table podcast now close watch with Robert Dennis jr. And it only felt right for them to be on the franchise detours feed as well. And, uh, it's it's if any franchise I was going to have sort of a a very unorthodox coverage of on my podcasts, it, it makes sense that it's this one. It's it's the one that's kind of started me on uh, on the cinephile path, as it were. Uh, I think the Matrix Resurrections is bold in its sort of storytelling choices. I don't think there's any action scene in here that's anywhere near anything in the first one or the freeway chase in the second one, or, uh, or even the, even the, the, the super burly brawl in the, in the third one, the Smith. And if this, if you're not familiar with the, the internal, uh, terminology, the, uh, the Smith and Neo fight in the, in the rain and third film, I think those sequences are all superior. I think that the performances in the other ones are, uh, largely better, but I also enjoyed this movie. I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of destined to be a guilty pleasure for me. In a way, I feel like it maybe always was going to be that 
just because I have so much personally invested in this franchise that I was going to enjoy this regardless of what it is to some degree. But that doesn't mean it. Is it a good movie? Mm, I, I don't know. It's half a good movie. It's it complete. It's messy as hell. But like I said, I'd rather see a half formed, messy ass, strange meta movie than, you know, a very formulaic paint by numbers blockbuster. And I'm not saying that Spider-Man No Way Home is the paint by numbers blockbuster, but it's closer. (laughs) It's closer to that than this is. Because it is, you know, it's the Avengers Endgame of the Spider-Man franchise. It's like, hey, this person shows up. Hey, this fan favorite movie. And that's great. And I like that. That's fun. That is in all, you know, for all intents and purposes, a better movie. I find this movie more interesting to think about, to talk about. Obviously, I've talked about it by myself for almost an hour here. To engage with intellectually. Is the action a disappointment? Kind of. Is the continuation of the story a disappointment? Kind of. Do I still like it a lot? Yes. Will I still watch it repeatedly and hope to talk about it with other other fans that are as intrigued by these movies as me? Absolutely. So I'm excited to revisit this on HBO Max. Uh, I'm recording this and posting this the 21st. It's going to be up tomorrow uh, on the 22nd on HBO Max and in theaters. And I'm really, really curious to see what what everyone thinks about this movie, because it's going to be probably the most polarizing blockbuster, I would say, of the year. If you're like me and you love the Matrix movies, you're probably all about this film, or at least mostly about this film. The flaws you're willing to kind of bypass because it's a new Matrix movie. And after all this time to be to be back where it all started, back to the Matrix, uh, it's it's a fun film to sort of mull over and its creative decisions are something that I'm sure everyone will have an opinion on one way or another. And they're all valid. It's all good. If you hated this movie, no, no hard feelings. I totally get it. If you love this movie, I thank you. Welcome. Let me, maybe you can steer me towards it even more so. Cause I'm in the center, but more positive. Uh, just because I'm, I'm a shoe in for the, for all these movies. So have you seen the matrix resurrections in theaters on HBO max? Doesn't matter. I saw it in, in the, I don't even think I saw it. In, I saw it at a press screening. I don't even think I saw it in IMAX because freaking Spider-Man probably took the IMAX for this. I would assume because it's playing every 20 minutes. Uh, but if you saw the matrix, because Revo- uh, I can't even get the name straight. It's, this is what happens when I talk by myself in a room for an hour. Uh, if you see, uh, saw The Matrix Resurrections, I want to know what your thoughts are. Did you hate it? Why? Did you love it? Why? Like, give me details. Don't just, uh, it, as the Flight of the Concords once said, be more constructive with your feedback, please. Um, you know, I, I want to hear specifics about what you disliked and what you liked. Let me know. You can find me on Twitter at Crooked table. You can find me on the same handle on Instagram, uh, and also via email at Robert at crookedtable.com. Uh, next episode, we're continuing our 12 days of crooked table. Next episode, we're going to be rolling right into the evil dead films. Uh, so t- if you're listening to this, the day it's posted tomorrow will be the evil dead evil Dead two army of darkness. And then Merry Christmas Eve, <laughs> evil dead 2013, the most Christmassy movie of all, right? Um, so, uh, stick around for the evil dead movies in the next few days. Uh, thank you for bearing with me. I know this was sort of a weird formatted episode, kind of no formatted episode basically, but I wanted to continue to cover this franchise. Maybe at some point down the line, I'll talk with someone else about this on their show or something else. So, uh, I'm sure I'll have more thoughts on the matrix resurrections when I revisit it. But in the meantime, I wanted to get this out there and and put my stamp on this. So if you like this format, no format format, this sort of raw me talking in a room for an hour, also let me know if if that works for you, because maybe I could do this for future movies that are uh, that are franchises, especially that I've already covered on this feed or, or elsewhere. So that's all I have for you. 
for the Matrix Resurrections for now. I'm sure I'll, I'll, as soon as I end this recording, I'm sure I'll be like, damn it, I forgot to mention this scene or this moment. Uh, but, you know, follow me on social media and maybe I'll express it there. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Whew, and I, I need to sit down and get a glass of water. Stay crooked, everyone. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-L-K-E-D. Z-R-O-L-K-E-D. <laughs> <laughs>